As we begin this message, the title of this morning's message is Protect the Scene. Protect the scene. And I'm going to read our scripture reference once again. It says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And I wanted to show that clip is because when you open the Bible, just like when they open up that crime scene, there is always way more than what's just on surface level. Amen? There is always way more than what you begin to read the scripture at. And if you just read the scripture for face value, you are only getting about, I would actually say, less than 5% of the total value of the meaning of that scripture it would be like a crime scene investigator going on to a crime scene and saying oh i see a body hey there's a dead person we're done nobody would ever think that would be feasible nobody would ever think that would be the, the the case right there and since i did forget to dismiss the kids this morning we do want to dismiss the kids today any kids that are kindergarten through fourth grade you are welcome to you are welcome to be dismissed this morning thank you guys so much for reminding me And so as the kids are being dismissed, we know our kids are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has great and mighty plans for them. They'll be mighty on the earth, leaders among this generation and the next. Amen. And so as they're leaving, we're excited about what God's doing in their life. And so as you jump into the word of God, you do know and understand that there's way more to it than meets the eye. And just like we saw in this scene of the video clip, there was way more to it than meets the eye. And as they begin to unfold and unpackage and unwrap the crime scene, they kept getting more and more and more information, which will eventually lead them to the truth. Because, you know, at the end of all the crime scene shows, they end up getting the bad guy, right? And so they end up unfolding the whole scene to get them to the truth and so in your life you must begin to unfold the bible more than just opening up and doing the the lucky dip what i say of closing your eyes swirling your hand around and pointing at a script say i'll just read here today amen uh you you must read the bible strategically methodically precisely and comprehensively we talked about that last week and if you missed last week's message go grab it off the right the cd rack or download it um on on itunes or anywhere else that we have it listen to it right off the website because you're gonna have to begin to read the bible differently as we begin to approach this whole series that we're going through and now when um when you must protect the scene it's the this the snap i'm going to give you it says hopefully first responders haven't caused too much dis- disruption to any potential physical evidence on the crime scene before even stepping inside the structure ingress going into the crime scene and egress leaving the crime scene must be controlled sentries or guards must be placed at all possible entrances um, to to protect the crime scene the csi after learning the basic facts about the case then begins to unfold the facts and begins his search for the truth and so as you begin to protect the scene the scene of god's word you must begin to put guards around how you read the word of god amen you must not read the word of god as we talked about last week from grandmama's point of view come on you must not begin to read the word of god through a worldly perspective you must begin to read the word of god precisely methodically comprehensively strategically we've talked about that over and over and over and the finding of uh, of the csi's job is a lot more than gathering facts The CSI's job on a crime scene is to find out the truth of what really happened. Your job reading the Bible is more than gathering information and gathering facts. Come on. You must begin to dig into the truth and find out the truth of what's happening. See, a lot of us just just read the Bible as historical accounts of Jesus when he walked on the earth, and that's okay, but if we're not really digging for the truth, we have nothing that'll set us free. It says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It doesn't say you'll know historical knowledge and the historical knowledge will set you free. 
So we must begin to come in our mind as we read the scriptures on a vendetta to find the truth of the scripture, even if it means everything I've been taught all my life is wrong. Come on now. That's not an easy thing to say. That's why you need to approach the scene of God's word with unbiased intentions. You must approach the scene of God's word humbly, thinking you really don't know as much as you think you know. Amen? (laughs) You must approach the scene of God's word in an attitude of faith that God's going to reveal to you those things you don't know. Amen? And it will be backed up, and as he reveals it to you, confirmed by other scriptures in the word of God. Amen? And so as we approach this scene, the crime scene, or the, the Christ scene, as we should say here, what is the scene that we are talking about? The scene that we are talking about in the Way Bible Church today is the Word of God. The crime didn't happen to the Word of God. The crime happens in your mind. Okay? The crime doesn't happen to the Word of God. The Word of God is perfect. It's inerrant. Uh, It's God-inspired. It's God-breathed. It's living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. I can tell you all about the Word of God. And so if there's a mess-up, it's not in the Word of God. It may be in the mind that reads the Word of God. And so that is where the crime begins to take place. And what is God's motive? As we learned last week in the scriptures, God's whole motive from Genesis all the way to Revelation is to redeem a lost mankind and bring them back to an original state to fellowship with God once again. And so we know the motive. We know the scene. We must begin to now figure out the crime so that way we can begin to unfold the scriptures truthfully. And here's the problem. The case of our life, the case of our mind... We said we must protect the scene that goes on. The problem with our mind is it's already influenced in every way, shape, and form, and it's influenced by everything that comes into your life, okay? It's influenced by everything. It's influenced by how you were raised the first five years of your life. It's influenced, your your viewpoint of God's love for you is influenced by whether you have an abusive dad or whether you had a great dad like I did. See, I have no problem picturing my Heavenly Father as a loving Heavenly Father because I had a great earthly Heavenly Father. But somebody who had an abusive Heavenly Father or did not have a father at all, come on, or had an absentee father, you say, oh, he's a loving Heavenly Father, they're automatically thinking, well, I can't even relate. My daddy left me. So the crime scene happens in our mind. It happens because our mind is influenced by everything external and even internal that we process in our life. And so here's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam was a spirit-led and controlled man that made a conscious decision to sin. When Adam made a conscious decision to sin, the spirit-controlled mind and man of God... No longer was a spirit-controlled mind or man of God. He was a man now bound to earthly carnal thinking, not spirit-led thinking from Almighty God. And so now you see how everything of the mind begins to take its toll. This is why the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not your soul, or, or not your spirit, I mean, but your mind. Your mind, your will, and your emotions make up your spirit. If you get your mind under control, you'll get your emotions under control. It's not until your mind gets out of control that your emotions get out of control. (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) It's not that you start harboring bitterness does the emotion of hatred begin to come forward and the root of bitterness begin to set in. Come on now. This This is where we're at. And so Adam, in this, when he made a conscious mind decision to sin... It wasn't a spiritual decision to sin. It was a mental conscious decision to sin. There became a big separation in man himself. 
The spirit of you gets born again when you receive Christ into your life and become born again. So your spirit is now has an immediate connection with God. Your mind doesn't yet. That's why it says you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind to know the will of God, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And so now your spirit, when you are born again, has a direct connection with God again. That's why we live by the spirit of God on the inside of us. Come on. And we're led by the Spirit of God because now their spirits are connected again. And our mind, we're still working on it. And the mind is a big old object to work on. I mean, it's huge. I mean, I mean, your mind, let, let me read some of this stuff about your mind and your brain. Your brain, the conscious side of you, is everything you cogni cognitively possess. When you see me now, you are cognitively possessing. You are seeing me, you're hearing me, you know it's real because I'm here. But your mind is not only your conscious, but your mind is also your subconscious. That's where it gets actually crazy. Your mind is not only your conscious, but it's your subconscious. It's your memory, your short-term, and your long-term memory. Some of you, your biggest problem is you don't have a short-term memory. And you're remembering long-term things that you should have had a short-term memory on. Come on. And so your subconscious has your conscious in mind, but it's a sub-part of it that is a big, huge computer database that has every memory you've ever had in there somewhere. That's why 10 years from now, you'll be going through something, and you'll have a reaction to something that brings you back to a memory that you happened when you were five years old, and you didn't even know that was there. Because it's there, it's just got to be drawn up. This is how we do freedom ministry at TWBC. We bring up those hidden memories that are causing these ungodly emotions that you've repressed into your subconscious that your conscious doesn't even recognize anymore because it's just not on the monitor of your mind right now. But it can still be pulled up and accessed. So you have your conscious and then you, and you have your subconscious, which is your short-term and long-term memory. And listen, everything in the brain that we are unaware of is housed in your subconscious and it still affects us. Your peripheral vision is dictated by your subconscious. Have you ever been using a saw and you're cutting something and you don't have goggles on because you're crazy like I am and you're cutting something and it's something pop up and your eye closes before it even hits it? You didn't even see it. Your conscious couldn't even react that fast. But your subconscious kicked in and your reactions kicked in and you closed your eyes and it didn't hit your eyeball but it hit the eyelid. Am I the only one that's ever had that happen? <laughs> I mean... And so in your life, there's times when your subconscious kicks in and you're grateful for it. Your peripheral vision. You're not looking at something, but you see something over here. And, you, and then you automatically turn. Your subconscious is kicked in. It's looking for things. It is always there. It's always available. It's always working. It possesses audible sounds not cognitively heard. There are sounds that you can hear, but you don't hear. And some of y'all are like, this is creepy. Your mind is a scary place. That's why it needs to be transformed and renewed. <laughs> Come on, I'm telling you. It needs to be transformed and renewed. This is where the crime scene always happens. This is where we don't understand scripture because the devil has, has deceived our mind, not our spirit. He's deceived our mind. And so when we read the scripture, we read it with a tainted point of view and then the crime scene is the, or the Christ scene is not protected. And so listen to this stat about the brain. The brain can process over 100 million 100 million instructions or things per second, according to Carnegie Mellon's Ro Robotic Institute. 100 million things or items going on per second it can comprehend. You're not going to remember one one hundredth of those. 
they all get housed in your subconscious. They all get stored in your subconscious. But sometimes it can get pulled up because it's stored somewhere. It's like this huge uh, database in your computer that stores everything you've ever seen on the hard drive. It's got everything on there. Whether you can access it or pull it up, it begins to be, begins to be the issue. Your subconscious also affects your uh, personality. Some of you are outgoing, some of you are optimistic, some of you are naive. This is, those are all me, okay? <laughs> That's why I love you coming here, because I always see the best in you. <laughs> you could have jacked up last week more times than I can count, but you walked in this morning like, oh, there's hope, baby, thank you, Jesus. They're coming, they're repenting. I mean, you may not have had any of those thoughts in mind, but that's what I thought when I saw you. Because <laughs> I'm optimistic, I'm naive, I love it, I walk by faith, I'm believing the best for you, I'm praying God's best for you, his destiny for you, whether you want it or not. Because <laughs> that's my personality. Now, some of you guys are on the other side. <laughs> I can't believe they just walked into church after what they did last week. <laughs> I can't believe how they acted last week, and they're going to sit on the front row and lift their hands like they can worship. Come on. Now, now, I'm telling you. <laughs> Some of you, that's your personality, and maybe that's something that needs to change in, in, in your subconscious so you can begin to see the, the power of God work in other people's lives. And so it, your subconscious affects your habits, your actions, your reactions. Your subconscious is actually your default. Now, if you, know what, if you do a lot of work with computers, there's something on a computer called the default setting, where if you are like me and don't know much about it, you can jack up everything, and you can hit this button, and it brings it all back to normal. And I love it. I love the default button. The problem is the default button in our human lives is this. It's fallen, broken, and a sin nature default. It's fallen, broken, in sin nature. So therefore, when you go to your default, you're automatically going back to your fallen, broken sin nature. You must no longer say, that's just my human reaction because you are born again. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are a spirit-led man empowered with the word of God that can transform your mind and you can think differently, act differently, walk differently, talk differently, be differently. But when you say, that's just human nature, you, you shouldn't be in human nature anymore. You're a born-again spirit man of God. The problem is your mind hadn't quite caught up with your spirit yet, and when human nature kicked in, it kicked back to that broken default. <laughs> so we need to change that broken default. We must begin to protect the scene of God's word, and where the sin happened or the crime happened is in our mind, and so we must begin to change that. And let me tell, how, tell you how vital is the transformation is of your mind is to the redemption process of God in your life. It is so vital, this redemption process in the area of your mind. This will give you the answer why new creations do not act like new Christians. Because we still have a default that's messed up. In your life, the Bible says you were born again, you became a what? New creation. In Christ, the old things have gone, the new things have come. Amen. All this is from God, and we're all shouting hallelujah. But you walk out of here and still cuss somebody out when you're pulling out the church parking lot because they cut you off. Come on. I've seen some reactions coming out the church parking lot. And I've seen some reactions sitting down at the end of 2560 when you've got to wait forever and a day to get off that road that's why it's best to hang out in fellowship for a little bit i mean let everybody else get out of here you'll keep your sanity you'll keep your religion 
And so in this process, this is how vital it is for a new creation to understand this process because new creations sometimes don't act like new creations. New Christians seem to be the same old person. It's because of this reason right here. We've let the blood of Jesus forgive us of our sins, but we have not let the blood of Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, purify us from an ungodly conscience. There's a big difference. You can come over here and say, I receive my forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, I'm forgiven. And you can do a dance all across the stage, and you can be free, and you can sing the song, free at last, free at last, praise God Almighty, I'm free at last. But you can go out here and still act like an idiot. You can walk out this door and act like nothing's changed. It's because we've let forgiveness of our sins happen, but we have not let the blood of Jesus purify our conscience or our conscience which includes your subconscious, and that's the 100 million uh, thoughts or things it can process per second. Let me read you this verse of Scripture out of Hebrews. It says, Who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, this is Jesus, to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If you don't let the the blood of Jesus purify your conscience and your subconscious, the devil's going to trespass on you all day long and beat you up and spit you out, and you're going to wonder why you, as a new creation, are still broken down and beat up and can't seem to get victory in your life. You must begin to let the blood of Jesus purify your conscience and your subconscious. And watch God begin to move in your life. See, the blood of Jesus, as spiritual as it is, it fixed the physical. Come on. The blood of Jesus, as spiritual as it is, and forgave all our sins on the spiritual side, it still fixed the physical side. And this is the problem with evidence. On a crime scene, evidence, they always specify it as physical evidence. Start reading reading reports. It's the physical evidence. We know as born-again believers, we believe a lot more than physical evidence. We know there is spiritual truth out there that can transform physical evidence. We know that physically Joel T. Meyer was lost and dying and going to hell, but a spiritual concept or a spiritual principle came in, and I trusted in Jesus. I became born again and became a new creation, and the physical side of me changed to a spiritual man. So in your life, you must begin to understand that all this process of this scene that we're on, reading the Bible, if you don't begin to do it through a different purified conscience, you're always going to not get the fullness of the truth. You'll gather great knowledge, you'll gather great amount of facts, but you'll never experience the truth. You'll never experience the fullness of all that God has called you to experience in this. A CSI's job is a lot more than gathering facts. It's finding the truth. I've said it before. So before stepping inside the crime scene, the job of a CSI is to do this. It's literally to uh, begin to set up a, a place around the scene that has defined entrances and exits. Where people ingress and egress, come in and out. You must begin to define those things in your life. Listen to this verse of scripture, John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now our opening scripture is, believe me. Okay? We had some people who believed him. So to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said this. If you abide in my word. Now what have we been talking about the word of God and what is it? It's the whole scene. It's the scene that we're talking about. If you abide in my word, and that word abide literally means to take up residence at. You live in me. You live in my word, and my word lives in you. If you abide in me, Jesus said, and my word abides in you, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. 
Now, we've read that and we've quoted that all your life, and some of you are still in bondage, still quoting it. Come on. And I'm not being ugly, I'm being real. Don't hate me when I'm loving you. <laughs> That's going to become my new favorite phrase for this series. I can see it because y'all give me some looks during this series. <laughs> and in this process, we can quote this scripture over and over and over and over again, but we have just got knowledge of the scene. We don't have the truth of the scene. And literally, listen, this is what it says. It says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It says, if you abide in my word, that term word in the Greek means logos. If you abide in my written word, the Bible says, if you abide literally in this scene, live here, breathe here, open it up, and read here. Amen? Y'all can write that down. It's the beginning of a good rhyme. <laughs> if you live here in the logos, the Bible begins to say this. If you live in my word, you are truly my disciples. So the first step of being a Christ follower is reading the Bible, not just a little bit, but all the time. Come on now, that's good. The first step of following Christ is to read the written word of God. And so you have the term logos. It says, if you live in my logos, you are truly my disciples, and you will know, and that word know is genosko. Now, genosko literally means this. A, it, it, it's that which has been uttered by the living voice of God, the spoken word, which carries the idea of quickened or brought back to life. If you abide in my logos, if you live in my logos, you are truly my disciples, the Bible says. And if you are truly my disciples, the Bible says, you will know, you will have the quickened word of God come alive in you, is what it is. Guys, flip it to the next screen. I think I got these Greek words on the, on the screen. And then it says, you will know, genosko. And it says, you will know the truth, which means what is true under the manner of any condition. So this is what the Bible is actually saying here. It says, if you abide in my word, this is how you read it, because this is what you read in the written word. If you abide in my word, and my word, uh, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, this is how, if you break it down to the literal sense, how it's really written, it says, if you abide in my logos, you are truly my disciples, and you will genosco the rhema, and the rhema-empowered word of God by the logos will set you free. Now, see, you've just read it. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. No, it's not just knowing the truth. It's the truth you know. It's not just knowing the facts or the historical or the writing, the written word of the Bible. It's what God reveals to you as you read the Bible, but you're not going to get the revelation until you open up the logos. <laughs> you're not going to get the empowered word of God that becomes alive or quickened in you because you know him until you open up the written. This is why I made such a big deal out of the word of God last week. This is the scene. If we're going to go deeper in Christ, we must read the words of Christ. Memorize everything that's in red. The red letters. <laughs> And I hope they're more than R-E-D. I hope they're R-E-A-D letters to you. Memorize the red letters. Find out what they mean. Because it's not just knowing what the Bible says. It's when you begin to memorize and know what the Bible says. You become a disciple or a follower of Christ. And the issue of a disciple, he wanted to be just like his master, not just know what he knows. So if you want to be like Jesus, read the word of God. And when you read the word of God, because it's living and active, you'll begin to get to know him and have life-empowered word revealed to you and come alive. And then that's what sets you free. See, some of y'all are mad about tithing still. It's because you hadn't read the Bible. And you just got knowledge about tithing. You don't have the truth about tithing. 
See, the job of a CSI is to do more than to gather facts. It's to find the truth. The job of a Christian is to do more than know the Bible and memorize it. It's to find the truth of the Word of God that will set people free. It's for me to be set free. It's for you to be set free. It's for God to change lives. Now listen to this. It's not just information. It's knowledge you must increase and grow in. It's not just information. Your, your, your brain can process 100 million things or, or, or items per second. So it's not just gathering of a bunch of information. You gather a ton of information all day long, but you must grow in knowledge of it. And it's not just knowing or knowledge of the truth. It's the truth you really know or the truth that becomes revealed to you as you gain knowledge of the written scriptures that's there. And this is more than just reading the Bible cover to cover. It's getting books that help explain the Bible. Now, I will help you find the right books. There's a bunch of junk out there. Don't just get down the internet and say, I'm going to order a bunch of books. Because you're going to order some. I'm just going to skip that. Oh, I could get ungodly real quick. So I'm just going to stop. I just felt it rising up in me. I'm like, no, I'm going to get into sin real quick on this one. So I'm just going to quit. I will help you find the right books. So it's more than information. It's knowledge you must gain. It's not just knowing or knowledge of the truth. It's the truth you know. And it's not just gaining knowledge. It's gaining the truth. Because once you gain the truth and it's revealed to you, if you'll hang on to it, it'll work powerfully the rest of your life. And so in this word, the scripture, the word of God, the scene of your mind is where the crime takes place. This is why the, the Bible says the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He didn't blind their spirit. Oh, Jesus, save their spirit. No, Jesus, set their mind free. <laughs> Come on, pray right. Watch God do something in your life. Now, I want to bring up a true case scenario of a crime scene that's happened to you. And I'm going to bring up the term, but what about faith? But what about faith? Now, I'm going to explain faith real easy. It's easy to have faith when you have firm evidence because you have knowledge of the truth. It's because we don't have knowledge of the truth, it's hard for us to have faith. Correct? When you get knowledge of the truth, it's easy to have faith. When you got knowledge of the truth of your salvation, it was easy to get saved. <laughs> I received Christ, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, his blood covered me. <laughs> and then you learn the fullness of the effects of it. Once the truth was revealed, it was easy to have faith. But we must get evidence of the truth. And so how many of you have ever said, Jesus said you just got to have faith like a child? You heard it said? How many of you have ever said it? You don't got to raise your hand. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm fixing to bring you onto a crime scene. And I'm going to prove to you this one scripture of a point recap that we did last week that flows directly into this week of, you have heard it said, but I say, Jesus said that in Matthew 5, 21. You have always heard it said, but I say. You remember me talking about that last week? We've always heard this said, Damon, you just got to have faith like a child. That is nowhere in the Bible. It's not there. Jesus never said it. It's not in red letters. Guys, pull up Google if you don't mind. They're going to pull up something for me. Just Google faith like a child. All right, click on that top one. Now click on Matthew 8, 3 right there. Scroll down a little bit. Parallel versions, NIV, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little children, you'll never enter the kingdom. New Living Translation, I like this one the best actually. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins, amen, 
and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. My version, English Standard Version, truly I say uh, to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. New American Standard, um, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the great, awesome one, the King James Version that even Jesus used. <laughs> telling you. Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Where in there does it say faith like a child? It's not in the Bible. It is not in there. In fact, I even, I even th- I, studying this, I, I wanted to hit myself in the head. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So I went back and I said, surely that's just uh, taken out of context. Well, I went back all the way to Matthew 17. Matthew 17, thanks guys, you can throw it back up there. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13 are the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, 14 through 21 are casting out demons. This does mention faith, so I was like, aha! But then it goes on and it says, 22 through 27 talks about paying taxes. Well, that takes faith too, amen? I'm just playing. I'm trying to lighten this up because some of y'all are mad at me right now. And then so I jump into Matthew 18 starting in verse 1, and the way it starts out, the whole time frame is different. It says, when his disciples had came to him. So they came to him at a different point and said, God, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus said, unless you become like a little children... You'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. So I said, ah, then we'll just read on. Well, verse 4 and 5 talk about humility. Verse 6 and 7 talk about causing a child to stumble. And it says, if you cause one of these little children to stumble, it's better that you have a large millstone tied around your neck and you be thrown into the sea. Ah, don't jack up a little kid's life. I'm just saying. Then it talks about in 8 through 11, your sin. If you got an issue with your eye, cut it out. Your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Oof, we don't like those words from Jesus. We like the good stuff. <laughs> then you got reconciled, then you got leaving the 99 to go find the one. He talks about, if one of you loses a sheep, would he not leave the 99 to go find the one that's lost? Then finally, 18 verses 15 through 18, it talks about if you have a problem with your brother, go reconcile it. Faith like a child is not even in the context of those two chapters. But, Let's just take for for issue, let's just say it's right. I don't believe it's right. I don't believe that at all. But let's just say faith like a child is truly in proper context. Think of a little kid. Just think of a little kid. kid. See, some of y'all are smiling now, finally. (laughs) Get a smile out of some of you. Think Think of a little kid. Here's the problem. When we read this that says faith like a child, I think of a little blonde haired boy either at the age of four or age of five. (laughs) Right? Because I got two boys, one's four and one's five. So I think of a little boy about that age. If you are Hispanic, you didn't think of a white kid. You thought of a Hispanic kid. There's nothing wrong with that. It's your environment. It's how we were raised. If you were African-American, you didn't think of a little Jewish boy. Come on. None of us thought of a little Jewish boy. Be honest. (laughs) Ain't none of us thought of a little Jewish boy. Especially at the age of 12 when he gets a yarmulke. We never thought of it. Okay? And if we're saying faith like a child is correct, and we go forward, let's talk about what Jesus was thinking versus what we were thinking. Jesus wasn't thinking of my little blonde-headed, awesome, good-looking kids. Amen? He was not thinking of my boys. When Jesus mentioned faith like a child, he was thinking of a little Jewish boy who by the age of 12 had the first five books of the Bible memorized. 
The girls had all of Psalms memorized by the age of 12. The Jewish system of school called Beit Sefer, by the age of 12, they had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Then they would go on to secondary school, where if they were good enough, they didn't go to their father's trade, they went to secondary school, they memorized all the prophets by the time they were 16. So they had the first five books of the Bible memorized, and all the prophets memorized by the time they were 16 or 17. Then if they were good enough, they would go to a rabbi, and they would say, can I be like you? And this dude would quiz them for about three days. And if they passed, they would say, yes, you can come and be like me, or be who I am. If they weren't, they were sent off back to their home, which was devastating. So let me tell you, when we say faith like a child, and when Jesus, who didn't say faith like a child, but we're assuming that's what he said, said faith like a child, I can tell you we got two completely different aspects of a kid with faith. Because his kid with faith had the first five books of the Bible memorized. He knew the story of Moses crossing the Red Sea, and it wasn't Moses, this patriarch. It was Moses, my great uncle, or something like that. It was family. So I did this for a big reason. Do you understand how the crime scene is not the scripture, it's your mind and how you've read it? That we've always said, you just got to have faith like a child. Number one, it's not even in the Bible. I just blew some of y'all's theology because you're banking on faith like a child to get to heaven. If I just trust Jesus. I'm telling you, change your ways. It says you must read the Bible to become his disciple. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you. If the word of God, and it is correct and true, and God-breathed and God-inspired, if there's a crime scene anywhere, it's here. And so we must ask ourselves, are we Western-cultured with the Bible interpretation mixed with it, or are we going to be on a vendetta to find the truth of God's word, even if it says I'm wrong? Even if it says, Jesus wasn't thinking of my five-year-old, blonde-headed, blue-eyed boy. He was thinking of an olive-colored skin boy with black hair and brown eyes when he said faith like a child. See, because you read the Bible through your mindset, the devil who's wreaked havoc on your mindset all your life, who has put you in bad environments, who's put you in bad places, and now is giving you a distorted view of the scriptures as you move forward, has now got a distorted view in your mind as you read the Bible, and we wonder why we don't know the truth, and it can't be revealed to us to set us free. It's because we must change the way we read the word of God. And in your life this morning, my greatest desire my greatest heartthrob, my greatest beat of my heart, it is this. It's that you become transformed. But you're not going to become transformed by simply reading the way you've always read it. You're going to become transformed when the word of God, you begin to live there, and it becomes alive to you. It begins to change your life like never before. This is why I say you must protect the scene. The scene is not your mind. Your mind, you better open up your mind to get completely transformed. But you must protect the scene of God's word as you read it. I'm no longer going to read it through a democracy mindset. Jesus said we're in a kingdom. I'm going to start reading it through a kingdom mindset. So some of y'all may have to just do some research on, huh, what is a kingdom actually like? Because we in America don't know. We don't like it. We'll cast a different vote. We even brought that mess into the church. I don't like it. I'll just, I'll take my vote and papers and I'll go. We're not in a voting society in the church. That's not anywhere biblically in the New Testament. But we, because we have always been Western cultured more than Bible, 
and way more Western culture than truth, we find ourselves at the church in America in some of the greatest bondages we've ever been in. Some of the greatest strongholds that have ever taken place are found in the churches today. But here's the greatest news ever. The truth is still the truth. It doesn't matter how great the stronghold is, our God is still greater. That if we'll just get tapped into the truth, God can begin to break down the greatest strongholds in the church, and he can cause mass revival in less than 24 hours. He can transform the status of the church from broken, beat up, and devastated to a powerhouse living bride that he's coming back for in less than a 24-hour time span. And so it's time that we get to know not just this Jesus, but the truth he spoke about, how it applies to my life so I can be a catalyst for this thing called revival that we've all wanted. And this morning, my prayer is that you'll have a new open understanding to the truth of God's word. To the truth of God's word. I'm going to 